You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. And it's, it's a reminder too, I think, that any one of us can make any small mistake and all of a sudden our lives are defined by that little mistake. Hello, friend. Welcome to our first ever episode with a guest. In fact, we have two today, which is twice the fun. I'll tell you more about them in the actual episode, but I wanted to quickly let you know that today's audio is not quite what we're used to. I am getting the hang of having guests on and recording other people's voices, which is much harder than I initially thought it was going to be. So I wanted to say thank you for your patience as we go on this journey of recording guests on the podcast together. And the final thing, (laughs) before we get to it, if you are of age and in a place that is safe to do so, please take a drink every time I say fascinating or incredible Because, sweet lord friend, I made those words the vocabulary words of the day. My second grade teacher personality came out way too much, and I was just making sure that you knew the vocabulary words of the day. (laughs) But I digress. Grab your drink if you got it, and let's get to it. Welcome, 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 friends. I am TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. And apparently, haunted penitentiary history as well, because we have two very special guests today. They are the hosts of Behind Gray Walls, the podcast all about the old pen and other Idaho history excitingness. So because I'm sure that they can introduce themselves better than I can, I will hand it off to Anthony and Sky. Go ahead, guys. Right. <laughs> okay. Hey, thank you, TK. Thanks for having us on. Of course. Um, I'm Anthony Perry. I am the Current uh, interim historic sites historic sites administrator for the Idaho State Historical Society, but um, co-host of Behind Gray Walls with Sky. Sky, you want to go for it? Yeah, um, my name is Sky Cranny. Um, I uh, worked, uh, did a big project out at the Pen um, with the women, actually, and that's what started this whole podcast. Currently, um, my full time job is actually not at the Pen. I'm a, a PhD student at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Um, so that is what I'm doing, but I'm excited. I always get to do behind gray walls as a side gig and learn about some like really amazing women. So happy to be here. Thank you so much for having us on the podcast. Awesome. I'm so happy that you guys are here. So I don't know if you know, friend, uh, but I am, I, I lived in Idaho for a long time, not from Idaho. So I'm very excited to have two fellow Idahoans on the podcast. We're very excited about it today. Let's get started with our topic, the old pen or Idaho's old penitentiary. As we always do, let's start off with a little bit of background so we can get ourselves acclimated in our little time machine and know where we are in history. Anthony, if you could take that away, let us know. Or Sky, sorry, whoever. No, Anthony. Okay, perfect. Anthony's a pro at that history. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the old Idaho State Penitentiary, this actually marks the 150 150th year since this site opened. Perfect so March 21st will be our big, yeah, that's our big celebration for the first 11 men who arrived here way back in 1872. 
And basically, you know, as, as gold, silver, all kinds of precious gems were found in Idaho, people started to flock here in the 1860s. And with that came crime. <laughs> and the first territorial prisons were up in North Idaho. There's one uh, in Lewiston and one in Idaho City here in Southern Idaho. And then when Boise became the capital, the prison came with it. And uh, the university went up to North Idaho and uh, we got the prison here just a couple miles from downtown Boise. And over the next 101 years, over 13,000 men and 217 women came to find this place, uh, their temporary homes, as they were punished for their their crimes throughout the state. So, you know, we've got, luckily, in 1974, the Idaho State Historical Society took over the site as the institution closed, and it's been a museum since. And we've had, you know, 70,000 people who come each year and take tours, including, you know, fourth graders learning Idaho history all the way to... You know, even former guards and former prisoners, mm-hmm. residents of the site. Really? What? So there are still, I guess if it closed in the 70s, there are definitely still people who are alive who mm-hmm. called that place home for better or for worse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. How many people do you know have uh, come back who were actual residents or guards? A lot. Quite a few. Yeah, actually, I've done quite a few interviews and oral histories with with several of them. And there are still men who are incarcerated at the current Idaho Department of Corrections, just a few miles south, the the current prison, who serve time here. And uh, they've they've shared some of their stories with us as well. Oh, wow. So there was a time when there was a kind of a transition of prisoners between the old penitentiary and, and the new prison that we have yeah. now. Whoa. Yeah, the, the prisoners like here were actually building the new site in the late 60s. And so Get out of yeah, town. when this when this closed in 73 in December, there were only about 250 people men who were at this site and the rest were already over at the current site. Oh, got it. Yeah. So that is it's pretty, free yeah. labor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and people if when you come here, the fascinating thing is he was convicted of hard labor and so mm-hmm. all the buildings you see here were made by prison labor so all they they quarried the sandstone and the surrounding foothills which is Whoa. part of the reason why they chose this location uh-huh. and they they quarried the stone and then they built the cell house they built the structure and then they even fabricated the cells that they themselves would be housed in so wow it's a fascinating place. And it was self-sustaining. The uh, prisoners raised all their own food. They had crops of all different varieties and orchards with fruit trees. And they what? canned a lot of their own goods. And they tailored their own clothes. They did their own electrical work and plumbing. So it was it was entirely self-sustaining at the height of its, in its heydays. So. <laughs> you, uh, you can't see my face. My draw is on the floor right now. That is incredible. I had no idea it was totally self-sustaining. So they didn't rely on any outside or or very little outside help? Yeah, mostly it was for uh, more land acquisition to like purchase more land to, you know, propagate more crops. So they would have more prison labor to go and farm more land. And that a lot of that would go to different state uh, agencies like juvenile correction and mental hospital, uh, things like that. So Wow, yeah. that is incredible. So it was... It was a prison, but it was also really a correctional facility that did 
things for the community as well. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. incredible. <laughs> I wish the jail system uh, followed that a little bit more closely yeah. in present <laughs> times. That is crazy. So the <sighs> Idaho pen, the old pen was completely self-sustaining. That was That's incredible. And he had their own fruit trees and that that to me is the best part just imagining all of these criminals out there planting gardens being all domestic do you know what kind of crimes the prisoners were in for oh you know the vast majority it was for bad checks either no account check or writing bad checks you know forging other people's names on checks that was the biggest thing Wow. Um, but I mean, it's the full range. It's that to bank robberies and, you know, blowing up safes in the basement of the downtown ice cream shop to <sighs> full scale murder and, and, you know, everything in between. So, wow. But the majority of them were basically white collar crimes, I guess is what you would call them. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Give or take. Even, yeah. I'm not really sure what that kind of crime would be classified under money, money crimes. Yeah. I am not a, a crime professional <laughs> by <laughs> any means. <laughs> yeah. That's so fascinating. Do you have a favorite um, story that you've come across about the old pen or one of the prisoners? Sky, do you want to take this one? I've got too many. Dude. I was going to say, well, I mean, this is essentially what our podcast is, right? It's like mm-hmm. stumbling upon these like incredible stories and being like, oh my gosh. And, and, and finding out even more than you like even thought you would find. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, where where to begin? And so the funny thing is, is some of my favorite ones are not the ones who are in for like big crimes. Like we mm-hmm. had our sort of our most infamous woman, her name was Lida Southard, and she was in for, um, they called her Idaho's Lady Bluebeard. And so basically she was known for being a husband killer, a black widow. Um, wow. And she, she would actually, you know, sticking sort of with this black widow theme, she would strip fly paper of its arsenic she'd boil it and then strip the arsenic off of it and then put it in their food um and collect insurance money um so she's one of the the more infamous she's not my favorite she is um she's an interesting sort of stoic character like you can't quite get a handle on her she you know very much acts the part of like you know, of course, the innocent woman who never did anything wrong, yeah. but like clearly she Just may have also killed arsenic. her child. Fine. Yeah. Oh, like, God. She may have also killed her child. So it's like not great. Um, one of my favorites, and, and I've told this several times um, just because it is, I think, so fascinating, is there was a, a young woman who was arrested. Um, if I remember right, it was in like the 30s, 40s, 50s ish, sort of mid century. And she um, was arrested for grand larceny after she uh, she had problems with alcohol. She was a, a drinker and she was out one night and got drunk with this guy who pulled out this like big old wad of cash, like worth like thousands of dollars in today's Whoa. money, and gave it to her and was like, here, like you hold on to this. They're in the middle of their, their drunken super. And so Just she's hold like, on yeah, to okay. it. And she, yeah, she like puts it in her slacks pocket, like doesn't think anything of it, goes home. And basically when the man sobers up the next day, he realizes, wait a minute, I gave all my money to that lady. Or he basically says she stole it from him. And so they arrest her for grand larceny. 
um, which the, like, she didn't try to hide it. She didn't try to get out of town. She literally was like, it's in my pants pocket. So like I was, I forgot about it. We were crazy drunk last night. But the thing that I love about her is that she, it's, it's not related to her crime. And I think that's yeah. where Anthony and I especially find mm-hmm. these favorite parts is the humanity of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, because she had a stepson who, uh, suffered from, I believe it was cerebral palsy. Uh-huh. And, um, he like didn't under his own parents care. He just like, didn't really do, but he just kind of remained stagnant, but she like poured all of her heart and soul into helping this little boy. And um, there was a letter written while she was in prison from her stepdaughter that said like, even under our own mother, he didn't get better, but like she, uh, her name was Mildred Knox. She, She said that Mildred like did everything for him and helped him progress so much that he doesn't even need to walk with Kate or he, he doesn't, uh, I think it was, he couldn't, he didn't need to walk with his canes or he was just walking with, I can't remember which, which situation, Mm -hmm. but basically he had gotten so, so much better because she just like loved him as if he was her own child. And so like, that's the kind of stuff that, that I really grab onto. And I I don't know why it affects me so much, but I think that kind of stuff is uh, to me, I think almost more important than the crimes that they were in for. A hundred percent. I think people forget all the time that historic figures, not even historic figures, just people in history had other lives than the one little blip fact that you know about them. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a reminder too, I think, that any one of us can make any small mistake and all of a sudden our lives are defined by that little mistake. And I think, uh, you know, going back to this, uh, that the most people were in for crimes, majority of women, I'd say, easily three fourths probably of women were in for check related crimes. Um, often some of them just saying like, I was just trying to feed my family. Not all of them. Sometimes yeah. they were like moving across the country with their, you know, their boiling our snake. <laughs> right. But like, but you know, that, that some of them were just trying to make ends meet in hard times or, you know, didn't know any better or, you know, their lives get defined by these things when that's, you know, And so as much as we don't want to be defined by our mistakes, I think we need to, um, in retrospect, not do that to, you know, these former inmates as well. I know that there weren't a lot of women's prisons around the time when Idaho's women prison started up. Can you shed any light on that? Um, so actually, Idaho was one of the prisons uh, at, in uh, the late 1880s that uh, one of the prisons that didn't have a separate women's facility. Um, oh. So in the yeah, at least in the West, I think, if I remember correctly, Anthony, correct me if I'm wrong there. But at least in the West, it was one of the few that didn't have a separate and in terms of at least being outside of the, the, the main prison. So when it uh, we first the first woman entered the prison in 1886, she was a Native American woman. She was the only one until the 1880. Uh, sorry till the 1890s for Mm -hmm. about another half a decade or so. And so she was actually just kept in the prison, sort of in a separate cell from the men, but she was kept in the same cell house with them. They built a new cell house in 1890, they did in that they again they kept women in the same building, but they were even more separated from the men in that they had sort of their own compartment um, up above sort of the main cells. It was very separate from from everyone else. Um, but then that became a problem when um, a young woman came in after she uh, murdered her husband, uh, supposedly to be with her lover. She came in and about several years after she had been in she was found pregnant and then she claimed that the ward enforced her to have an abortion 
um, and a whole scandal erupted. I don't want to take up your whole podcast by no, it's okay. <laughs> um, you know, if you want to hear the story behind gray walls, episode two, but you know, no, eventually, I'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, that she, you know, people start to realize like, maybe we shouldn't be keeping men and women together. And so then they actually renovate the warden's house just outside the walls um, into a sort of makeshift cell house in, oh, Anthony, remind me, 19, oh, 1905. Okay. And then they end up building the current cell house that if you visit the site, that's the women's ward. You'll see that was completed in 1920. Yeah. That's the one when I went a few years ago, that's the one that I saw that was, I I was told that that was the women's ward. And I also, when I was on the tour, I heard that there was an escape or several escape attempts. It's very, very foggy in my mind right now that there were escape attempts either in the women's ward or in the the main prison. Oh, yes yeah. to both. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Anthony, you want to take some of the some of the main ones first? Yeah. They, so there were 500. You know, that's kind of our rough estimate. 500 mm-hmm. uh, attempted escapes and 90. 500. Yeah. And, and 90, 90 were successful. So 90 have you know were never recaptured um, or never brought back to the site. So. Oh. That most of them, you know, a, a vast majority, they were trustees. They were guys who were looking at maybe six months left on their sentence. They were working outside the wall and and probably either through pressure from other individuals or the anxiety that comes with being released back into the world. If you've been incarcerated for a really long time, they walk mm-hmm. off and, you know, they get caught and their sentence gets added on. And so, yeah, but we did have some escapes over the wall. And so one of my favorite that I always talk about is was during World War One. This this mm-hmm. fellow named um Gruber, uh Fred Gruber. He yeah, he was in on a life sentence for murder in the first degree. And he was also a trustee here and he had done a lot of the electrical work, the early oh. electrical work on the walls. And so he worked in the dining hall and woke up before everybody. And just prior to his escape, the Red Cross had started coming in to help with the war effort. They said, hey, do you guys want to do something? And the men would always donate blood and do all these different things to help with the, the soldiers. And so mm. the Red Cross donated yarn so that they could make socks and hats and gloves, scarves for the soldiers over in France and, and in Europe. Cute. And so, Fred, <laughs> right, it's cute. It's a sweet thing. Fred is like looking at a life sentence. He's like, you know, maybe if I do this stuff, I can help out. Well, he starts pocketing parts of this yarn enough so that he and his partner, uh, Harry Hinton, have enough yarn stolen from this Red Cross program to weave a 20 foot rope out of yarn. No way. Yeah. Yeah. And they get a, a little piece of metal. They make a hook out of it. And early in the morning, they wake up before everybody to prepare breakfast and he knows how to cut off the arc lighting that goes to all the, the entire wall. So the mm-hmm. guards don't see lights are out. He runs over and they hook this, this rope over the wall, climb up and out and escape. And Harris, uh, Harry Hinton, his partner is never recaptured, um, but he is recaptured about, I think two months later, he ended up stealing a car in, in California and gets brought back. But, you know, it's all kinds of escape stories like that. In this last season, we told uh, Dennis Clark's story, which is a fascinating one. He was an escape Mm -hmm. artist and his whole career in juvenile corrections 
in county jails all across the country. And then here he escaped mm-hmm. several times. And one of his last ones, he had prepared this whole kit. This is in the late sixties. Mm-hmm. He had, he was going to basically MacGyver out. He had this like this line. He was going to throw this line over from the roof of this building that he was going to climb to the top of. He had made a zip gun out of a stapler. And so he knew once he got to the wall, he would only have to kill one guard and then he could make his way out because he'd be protected from the other guard. But uh, as he was like climbing up this cell house, it's, you know, 30 feet in the air, three stories up. He actually yeah. fell and fell through some tables. He got up again. He's covered in blood. He tries it again. He falls again. And so he never made it up. His his kit was still up in the attic area, <laughs> but he never uh, never made it out. And oh. yeah, we, we still have his escape kit. And it's Get this, out of town. Story. Yeah, no, no, we've got it. It's pretty amazing. What? It's that an artifact awesome. out here. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you see it in the museum or in again, we don't anywhere? Have it on display? Uh-huh. Yeah, we. I think I've shared it on our Facebook page on our okay. you know, walls group. Well, yeah, but uh, what kind of <laughs> things did he have in his things. escape kit? It, it was like this whole pulley system, and we still have the uh, the staple gun, the zip gun, and it, it fired one bullet. And the prisoners were doing automotive repair in what we call two yard, where the uh-huh. Idaho Battalion Gardens are now. And somebody who brought in their car for repair had a uh, a box of shells of of bullets. And so that he didn't leave with those, those ended up in the prison yard. And so, yeah, this, this guy, Dennis Clark, he had figured out a way to craft a gun, a firing gun. And he said it, it totally worked. And he would have, he would have used it had he not fallen. (laughs) And died. (laughs) Just about, I mean, he survived. And, and when the guards at like saw him, you know, they were like, what happened? And he's like, oh, there were too many of them. Oh, like he had gotten beaten up. But uh, they they quickly discovered because they knew his whole career of escapes. And so they found the blood trail going into this cell house leading up to it. This, wow. this kid and everything. <laughs> Jeez. I can there are so many escape stories out here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. That's fascinating. I didn't know that so many people tried to escape. I mean, it's, I'm, it is prison, but it does sound like one of the less tough prisons, if that's... Yeah. You're in a compound, you're doing a little bit of a, a homestead, not a vacation. I mean, you're in you're in prison. You can't leave. Yeah. You have no freedoms, but you do have orchards, which mm-hmm. I would love an apple tree. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Finding Home Candle Company. Candles and serial killers? Finding Home Candle Company is a small business that creates gorgeous serial killer themed candles that every true crime fan would die for. Pun 100% intended. You can choose from scents like Love Spell for Ted Bundy, who fell in love with a witness, or Caramel Espresso for Aileen Wernos as a tribute to her last meal. Each label features the serial killer front and center, but for those people who are more serial killer junkies on the DL, Finding Home Candle Company offers a more discreet label as well. 
And for lovers of the dark and the macabre, this collection also features a body candle that bleeds as it melts. What more could a true crime lover ask for? For more information, head over to Finding Home Candle Company website and Instagram, linked in the show notes. Once again, thank you, Finding Home Candle Company, for sponsoring this episode. Guy has some good escape stories from the women. Yeah, I'm yeah. Ready. This, so this last season, actually, we covered a big escape as well. So um, Lida Southard, who I talked about before, she did manage to escape <laughs> over the wall. She actually escaped for a year and was living in Colorado. This isn't the one I want to tell, but she was living in Colorado with another man. And there's some rumor that she was trying to get him to take out another life insurance <gasps> policy. So, so I don't know. I think she, that's that's mentioned more in the news than it is mm-hmm. by, I believe, any like official account. So that's kind of like, you know, stirring up the like, ooh, Rumors. she's going to do it again. Um, but the one that uh, I talked about this last, this last season was, uh, two young women. One, uh, her name was Verna Keller and it's hers, uh, story that I talk about this in. And she, uh, was in for actually very brutally murdering a young woman because this young woman was basically like flirting with her boyfriend. Really horrible story. So she Mm -mm. comes in, she's very young. She's only like 16 or 17 at the time. And so, um, she comes in and she makes friends with another young woman. It's, uh, Margaret Barney. And so they become friends. And so the women, if you think like the, the men had a Boy Scout camp, the, the women just basically when they weren't in their cells kind of got to do whatever they want. Um, they didn't have a, um, they, they basically like they could work out in, they had, a, they did have a yard around um, where they could like garden and, and spend some time outside. They could like knit and, and read the newspaper and they could take classes. So like the women really didn't have it that hard, especially compared to like women's prisons now. Um, and so when they would work outside, they started to sort of pilfer like scrap wood and they started to build a ladder. And so the, the way the women's ward worked, a ladder, because there were, so unlike the men's prison or men's side of the prison, there weren't guards patrolling the walls in the women's ward. And that's because they basically, they had, I think they thought was a foolproof system because basically they had three ways of locking up the ward. I, I believe uh, Margaret and Verna were sharing a cell and they, I don't know if, I can't remember if they'd been working on it for several months. They managed managed to basically pry one of the bars on their window loose. And so they both escaped through this little tiny, and when you see it today, you're like, how in the heck did they do that? Because it's <laughs> tiny. But, um, and then they leave a note for the other women that says, you all said we couldn't do it. Here we go, basically. So like, passive we'll aggressive. <laughs> I know. So they, 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 ask, they managed to pull this makeshift ladder out and they, they make sure that they did say when they got to the top of the wall, there was someone that was supposed to be patrolling, but they waited until he basically was out of sight. They climbed over the wall and then climbed up in the foothills. They managed to hitchhike from town to, I believe it was on Ontario, where Ontario, uh, Ontario, yeah. Oregon, where, yeah. which is about 45 minutes from Boise. If you're traveling on like modern roads, yeah. it's probably, you know, you know, two hours back in, in the fifties when this is happening. And so they hitchhiked to Ontario where, um, I, I can't remember one of the parents lives and the mom is like, what are you doing here? And they're like, Oh, we escaped. And she was like, why? And they're like, I don't know. Cause Casually. we could, like we wanted to prove that we could. And so they end up calling the warden and say, cause like, obviously the next morning the alarm is raised. These women are gone. The massive search, like the, the warden is frantic trying to find them. So they just call him and they're like, Hey, like we're in Ontario. And he's just like, if you, if I like come get you, will you stay there? And they're like, yeah, we'll stay here. Come get us. Like, 
see you then. And so he comes and gets what? them and brings them back. And yeah, it, it like, and again, he says in the report, they don't seem to have any uh, reason for doing it other than to say that they could, like to prove that they could escape from this. Oh and my God. so they ended up really only serving, like, I think six extra months for that escape. <laughs> if that, it wasn't, they were sentenced for six extra months, but I don't think, uh, if I recall correctly, I don't think Verna got really any extra time at all for, for escaping that way. The pettiness. So, yeah. It, oh yeah. That's my favorite. Just like, mm-hmm. oh, you said that we couldn't escape. Well, we're yeah. going to make a ladder, which how, and then we're going to escape through a tiny hole, leave you a note. And then call the warden because we know that yeah. he won't be able to find us. And then, yeah. you know, we'll come back. Yeah. That's good stuff. Uh, yeah. Hilarious is that. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I just realized that we didn't get to Anthony's favorite story, I don't think. Mm. Favorite prisoner story. So Jeez. why don't because I know you, one. I know you guys have to oh. leave really soon. So let's. Let's get Anthony's favorite story to end the episode for us today. <laughs> uh, all right. You know, I, I usually I get this question and I have such a hard time, but I think Kenneth Hastings like mm-hmm. takes it for me. It's just the most action packed. Uh, he, he was from I one of the Dakotas. Anyway, he is like a war veteran and really, really well decorated in World War II. And like a lot of veterans, he came back and just could not assimilate back into society. He just, you know, PTSD, probably Mm -hmm. not a word that they use, but probably something he was experiencing and just got into like committing robberies and looking at it as missions. You know what I mean? Like we're going in, we have this, he had a little squad and they would go in and have this whole plan as they committed all these robberies and he ended up going to the federal penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington, and he met with a guy named Ivan Baker. And he and Ivan met up with two other members, and they started a little gang and started traveling through the, the rest of the Northwest and committing crimes. And uh, only three of them ended up showing up here at the institution. They uh, committed a robbery in what was called the Hollywood Market in nor- north, the north end of downtown Boise like iconic Boise history, the Hollywood market. Everybody used to knows, knows about that place who grew up here. And during this botched robbery, the owner actually came out with uh, a knife. He was out, he was cutting meat in the back. He hears this going down. He comes out and charges them to chase them out and ends up getting shot and killed. Oh no. And yeah. And so William Owen with, with Kenneth Hastings, they run out the door after after William shoots and kills the owner, and they jump in the, the getaway car, which is run by uh, Ruth Seconder. So she's waiting for him. They drive off. They go to Caldwell and east kind of towards Oregon, and they get busted and arrested and brought back, and they get sentenced to life. And they were actually, William and Kenneth were supposed to be hanged. They were supposed mm-hmm. to be executed, but they get commuted to life sentences and Ruth ends up in the women's ward for a short time as mm-hmm. well. But while Kenneth was here, he was just a problem child and <laughs> he was escaping. And his the biggest escape, he was actually being, he had broken his leg. He was playing softball. He had a broken leg and they had taken him to the VA, Veterans Hospital, just mm-hmm. in downtown Boise. And he had his teeth removed and on the way back to the prison. So he's got a broken leg. Now he's got like, false like sore teeth 
he had taken some sort of weapon, either a scalpel in the dentist's office or had a shank from the prison. He ends up attacking the, the deputy warden who was driving him, throws him out of the car. He hobbles back, steals a meat truck that was behind him and drives up through the foothills. And apparently meat was going out the side of the vehicle. Meat? So just just yeah. to out the truck. <laughs> yeah. And, and so he like drives north and he ends up uh, abandoning the car, runs out of gas. Um, everybody, like all the police, Ada County, you know, city of Boise, state police, they're all on this convicted murder, this lifer who's now escaped. He's out in the middle of the boonies. And he basically survived for several days without food or water or anything. And he had camouflaged this truck. He had covered it. And he just was like living on the land. It wasn't until they brought dogs in that they finally track him down and and uh, bring him back. And the dogs, apparently, when they got to him, they were licking his face. And he was like petting them and playing. Oh. He's, he's just this wild character. So they bring him back. And he's lodged in solitary confinement in what's called uh, Siberia. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an eight foot long cell, three feet wide. And there's an open hole in the back. That's your toilet. There's a, oh. it's a little open sewer pipe. Mm-hmm. And then a little spigot. That's your fresh water. And so he's he's lodged in there. He's looking at 30 days minimum. Mm. And some men's been up to a year and a half in this tiny little cell. No windows. There's a three-inch hole in the ceiling, and that's it. And you're fed bread, water, and just what they call baby food, mashed up food each day, which, you know, without teeth, he probably appreciated. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But he started at, he sent a letter to the warden and asked to speak to the warden. He said, I have something to tell you. Now, I told you about um, Ivan Baker, his partner Mm -hmm. in Walla Walla. Well, while they were traveling, uh, he and Ivan got into an argument about Ruth, their their driver. And he ends up killing Ivan Baker on the side of the road and near Atomic City, like Southeast Idaho, and leaving his body in some sagebrush. And Kenneth said that once he got here at this, at the old pen, um, the spirit, the ghost of Ivan Baker was haunting him. And so th- this is why it's one of my favorite stories. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. So he said late at night, he would be laying in bed and he would see Ivan and they had been cellmates, but they used to wrestle. And so Ivan would like get down this thing and like kind of uh-huh. get into a grappling position. And Ivan would sit at the foot of his bed and and like stare at him. And so he finally tells the warden, you know, I, I killed my partner. I left his body out there. And so the warden is like, are you kidding? So the, war- the warden, Luke Clapp, he, he ends up uh, calling in for lie detector tests mm-hmm. and Kenneth is even given truth serum, sodium pentothal. And it's the first prisoner here at the site who's administered this like MK ultra drug. Yeah. Right. And, and his story is the same. I killed my partner. I left his body here. Ruth and William have no idea. I told them that, you know, he wanted to go the other way and, and I gave him his share of the money. And, and so apparently Kenneth said that after he admitted this, that Ivan stopped haunting him. Wow. And uh, all these all these police went out to the area and they, they couldn't find his body. And so there's about, you know, mid-1950s that, that this ghost story is being revealed. It's all over mm-hmm. in the newspapers. And then uh, Kenneth is released in the mid-1960s. He goes mm-hmm. home to take care of his mom in, in Washington and he dies of alcoholism. 
Mm-hmm. And like a year after his death, some hunters are out near Atomic City and they stumble across the remains of Ivan Baker. No! Ivan! So, just a crazy story. It's like, yeah, it's it's like a cinematic, you know, I really want somebody to, to make a movie uh, yeah. and talk about his life because it's, it's just so fascinating. That is so fascinating. <laughs> and that last anyway. little, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I've got a whole episode if you want to hear every little detail. Yeah. Every little detail. I will also leave that in the show notes of this episode. So please go check that out. We, you know, it's hard. We we are so empathetic towards all the individuals that we cover because it's hard mm-hmm. not to be. You yeah. find out about their childhood stories. Yeah. What led them to these situations? Mm-hmm. And this is the lowest part of their life, you know, mm-hmm. in almost every case, like, and so we we try our best to to tell the humanity of the site because a lot of people they visit this and they're like why aren't prisons like this today and you know we we try to like humanize it as much yeah. as possible and not sensationalize it too much and yeah and the, the site stories. too yeah just the site is you it's honestly a like a monument to inhumanity um, like especially mm-hmm. you look at the oldest buildings, how just dilapidated they were. You know, one building was used up through the sixties that didn't even have indoor plumbing. You look oh at my gosh. Siberia, you look at the, uh, there, there are two solitary confinement buildings. And like, I honestly, I can't be in Siberia after dark. Like it just is, it's a, it's a horrible feeling. And so it's so easy to come in and just be like, well, they were criminals. They deserve this place. And just, again, like I've said, and I'll say this until I'm blue in the face, uh, you know, until I drop dead from, mm-hmm. from recording uh, stories, it's just like, <laughs> you have to remember that they were humans and that, that they didn't, you know, they weren't bad people often. Sometimes they were like, let's, mm-hmm. let's not oh, sit yeah. here and pretend yeah. that there weren't bad people in here, but like a lot of times they weren't. And, um, you know, to remember that none of, you know, as I've said, none of us want to be remembered as bad people because we were in prison, whether it was for, uh, you know, something as simple as forging checks or something as serious as robbery or manslaughter or, you know, something like that. So again, yeah, it just bringing the humanity back, I think is my favorite part of what we do on the podcast. But I know you guys have to run. Um, is there any final thing that you want to say? Anything that you want to plug at the end of our episode? Where can we find you? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, you can um, find us pretty much anywhere you find podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. Uh, are we on Stitcher? Yeah, we're on Stitcher. We're on Stitcher. Hey. I don't know. <laughs> Perfect. Um, uh, you can follow. We have a, a Facebook group. Um, and then we also have an Instagram, which will eventually be updated once I'm done with my comprehensive exams. I've really been neglecting that. That's, that's on me, but, um, and, and, uh, it's behind gray G R a Y walls. Um, just, um, but yeah, I mean, we, we would love to hear feedback. We, um, have been thrilled, I think, by the response. We just were like, who's going to listen to this weird little <laughs> podcast about like yeah. prison in Idaho? But, you know, we've been very grateful for our listeners and, and we will do it until no one wants to hear us anymore. So. <laughs> until our parents stop listening. Yeah, yeah, right. until <laughs> yeah, that's a dark day when my dad's right. like, I'm not interested anymore. No, yeah, we, we have a, uh, our next season is actually kind of a commemoration of the opening of the prison. So we're going in as deep as we can 
mm-hmm. on the first 11 men who were incarcerated here and and tell them like early Idaho history. So we're really mm-hmm. getting to the, the cornerstone, the, uh, mm-hmm. the very early, early history of the site and Idaho in general. That's going to be so exciting. A wild west. Yay. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I will be sure to leave all the links to your social media and everything so that you can find uh, Behind Gray Walls and listen to their wonderful podcast and those episodes that we talked about today. So with that, I will say thank you and goodbye to wonderful Anthony and Skye. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having us. Bye. Bye, Tiki. Thank you so much for joining us today, friend. I hope you enjoyed having our wonderful two guests, Anthony and Skye, on as much as I did. It was a regular old blasty blast having our very first guests on. I'm really looking forward to hearing your feedback what you thought about having guests on the podcast, what you thought about the questions I asked, the information that was told, literally anything. I want to know your thoughts, your feelings, your ideas, so that I can continue to make the podcast something that you want to listen to and something that continually grows and serves our little community that we have built here. So I am looking forward to those messages and your comments. And as I always do, I will leave everything that we talked about today in the show notes, or if there's any pictures, I will post them on Instagram so you can see all the fun prison business. As always, if you like today's episode, please share it with a friend, share it with a neighbor, share it with your post person, your male person. <laughs> share it with anybody because that is the number one way people find podcasts is word of mouth through someone that they know and trust. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere where you can leave a rating or review. That is also a great way to support your favorite podcast. And yes, I am implying that this is your favorite podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast in other ways, you can donate on Patreon. And as a fun Patreon extra, I will be putting up, well, I already have put up the video version of this episode, the uncut video version of this episode, so you can see all the fun shenanigans. Waffles the cat makes an appearance. It's a whole thing. So if you're interested in that, you can sign up for Patreon and watch the video and get a whole bunch of other fun perks like discounts on merch and have access to a fun project that I am working on that will be launched in season three of For the Love of History podcast. And of course, links to all those donation places will be in the show notes and all proceeds go directly back into the podcast to help me make you the best possible content that I can. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I can't wait to talk to you next week when we dive into some Japanese history. We're going to go back to my favorite topic, and I cannot wait for it. So I'll see you next week. Oh, my gosh. And before I forget, love yourself. Give yourself a hug. Be kind to yourself with this week. Drink your water because I know you haven't been drinking enough. Take a sip right now, okay? You thought I would forget. Of course, I would never forget. I would never forget. I care about you too much to let you be a dehydrated goddess, okay? Drink your water. I'll see you next week. Okay, bye! Why is there a metronome right now?
Okay. 